Alan Kring Productions, in association with the Emergent Light Studio, presents the Illinois State Collegiate Compendium, Academic Lectures in Business and Economics. This is Business Finance, FIL 240 for Spring Semester 2023. Today, intrinsic stock price. This is a mathy, somewhat, uh, something of a lecture, and, uh, but I will encourage you to have both your calculator and Excel out, because once you get the hang of how to do these the modern way, it's not too bad. There's still knowing what to put where, obviously, but uh, just be ready, be prepared for that. Uh, a couple of uh, pointers. I will have a surprise quiz on Monday, so please be surprised by that. Now the subject of today, the math of today, I will not ask on that quiz. That will be on the next quiz. So don't suddenly seize up here. I've got to know this by Monday. No. You, you've got a little more time to get the hang of it. And I will have some problems up, the practice problems in VeggieNet. And I also will upload the Excel sheet that I'm doing today so that you'll have the model to work, to, to help you along with this. <coughs> but as usual, I'll look at the numbers. Now, as you can see, the Dow pulled a 0.85% uh, stroke upward. We've still got an hour left. And the S&P 500 up more. This is more of a normal day at one and a quarter percent. And then the NASDAQ is up almost one and two thirds percent. This is actually not a day to sneeze about. Notwithstanding all the worries that you hear about the uh, recession coming and the end of the world, yeah, we've got some numbers that worry us, obviously, the inverted yield curve. We've seen some nastiness in the manufacturing index I recent, just recently. But on the other hand, we also see the un background numbers for the infl inflation are looking really good. And that's going to give the Fed more reason not to just keep cranking up that uh, discount rate as they've been doing seems like forever now. So there is good news. Now crude is down. It's, it's in a band, that band that I talked about before, 72 to 79. And you're beginning to actually see some, a little bit of relief at the, uh, in gasoline prices, at the uh, retail gasoline prices. So that's good news right there because that will help the economy. We can afford to buy our gas to do our thing and all that. So that's good news too. Now over on the gold, the gold bugs are just not finding anything to get excited about, which is good for us because gold prices skyrocketing would mean that they think the end of the world is coming. They might think that anyway. Silver is just doing a silvery thing. Now interestingly, the euro dollar, it had been uh, kind of turning sour with the USD 
it had gone from uh, uh, by a euro cost a dollar five to a dollar six to a dollar seven, and it is made a sort of a psychological breakthrough at a dollar eight, as you can see there to the euro, uh, showing erosion of the uh, dollar. Uh, the euro is appreciating against the dollar. Well, that's. I mean, there are some who are saying that it's still got a lot of upside potential up to a dollar ten for a euro, a dollar twelve for a euro, euro strengthening. I really don't know that I I was thinking it might make it that far, but I don't think. Well, maybe it will, but I don't see that much momentum in that direction. Now, as you can see, treasury prices are flat right now. The yield has not. It was way. The yield was up. And then it just sank right back down again, reflecting a general consensus that the F Fed is not in the mood to jack interest rates overall upward. So that's going to encourage equity investors that we don't have much movement in uh, uh, interest rates. Good news. Uh, notice, interestingly, both the euro and the uh, Great Britain pound, or the pound, have, uh, they both had a little bit of, they've been on a downward track. There was a little spike there in the midday on both of them, but it looks like the depreciation of the dollar against other major currencies lost its momentum. Which is good news. I mean, we we don't want other countries having a, currencies that are that much better, stronger than ours. So uh, wherever it's going to go, right now the pound has lost some of its momentum that it had in previous days. Just look here. If I would let me look at the uh, one month. Do you see that the pound appreciating against the dollar? Do you see that? And then it's just lost, see that? It's lost its momentum right there. It did that before, fell off a cliff, and then it recovered. I hope that's not what's going to happen this time, but heaven knows. If you look at the euro, the euro did the same trick uh, right there. Whoa, hello. Oh, that's today, too. Okay, look at the one month or the one month. Yeah. Look at that. Isn't that interesting, though? Do you see those cycles? Those are kind of odd, almost like waves happening, where the dollar depreciates, and then it appreciates. Dollar depreciates, appreciates. And you see that over and over. I wonder what the hell that's all about. Uh, I don't know. I'm not going to do that. I have to do enough of that currency stuff in my international finance class, and I'll do it again this summer down in Central America, so I won't burden you too much with that. But anyway, okay, going over here, just having a quick look, well, having a quick look at London. London's uh, down uh, now. Last night, Nikkei had a strong, sustained upward movement. And it ended up about one and a one, it ended up one and a third percent higher, and that was that was just optimism, as looks to me. And the same kind of was true of uh, what happened later in uh, London. Just a sustained optimism. Let me see real quick here. 
You don't really see that sustained optimism over here, though. You see it doesn't have that. So there was some good news at the beginning, but that was about it. And then the markets kind of drifted from there. And for God's sake, if you ever looked over here, these are in one of my play money places. I take risky bets called call options or put options on small companies that are struggling betting on surges, betting on collapses. And this one is just driving me up a wall. It's doing both in the same day. And, but anyway, but if you play these the right way, $100 can turn, you, turn into $500 if, if it goes the way you want it. But that's pure casino betting. Nothing, no, nothing to see there. Okay, enough of that. Let me take you on here. And as you can see, I've got Excel all prepped and ready to go, and I've got the calculator. Let me clear this, um, clear this out. And I'll go on with, it. before I do any mathy kind of stuff, I do want to kind of clean up one subject that was, may have, it was brought up earlier in the semester in the book, and I don't usually talk about it there, I talk about it here. It has to do with stock. Now, there are actually two different, very different kinds of stock. And I'm not talking about classified stock. This, one of these, you don't hear much about anymore. The people, when they talk about stock, they usually are referring to common stock. You know, the common stock, you don't know which way it's going to go. Might get dividends, might not get dividends. Price is all over the place. But you have your voting rights to keep the current board of directors or kick the bastards out. But there's another kind of stock called preferred stock. Now, a long time ago, I, it would have been more prevalent Anymore, I actually have to dig around to find listings of preferred stock. It's lost its luster, and I'll explain why here in a minute. But it is equity. It is a kind of equity. It is not that usual to see it anymore, especially in IPOs. Uh, but it is out there. And now they've got all kinds of weird twists on it when they do issue it, like callable and all that. But I don't want to get into that. Preferred stock, it doesn't have any voting rights. You don't vote if you have preferred stock. Even though it's equity, you don't vote. But the thing about preferred stock is that it pays a specific dividend that's stated in the stock certificate, a specific amount of money every year forever. Forever. I'll give you a, a quick, dirty example. DRJ dot P, 1.5% cumulative preferred Par value forty dollars per share. Okay. 
This is how it's stated. Notice how it's suspiciously similar to how a bond is stated. You know, you got a coupon percent on a bond, and you got a par value, which for us bond is always the face of a thousand dollars. But this is out there. Now here's the thing about it. What this means is first that the dividend forever is going to be 1.5% times the par value of 40. Which means that it is 60 cents per share. That's the first thing. Notice even here, it looks like how you do a bond, the coupon on a bond in your calculator, the PMT, the face value times the coupon. It's like that, except this can be different depending upon what the percentage is and what the par value is. Preferred stock can have preferred values. I've seen them preferred anywhere from $20 on up to several thousand dollars. I mean, it's just all over the place. But think about this. Preferred stock had a place in the potential investments you could make. For example, if someone, let's, let's say, uh, you, sir, decide to become old. You're 60 years old, okay? Wait, what do I mean by that? I'm more than that. No, that, that's young, young. Okay, but you come to me and you say, I should like to put... Uh, $10 million into an investment. Well, now, obviously at your age, I would probably aim at bonds. They're safer, the coupon. But think about preferred stock. It's going to pay a flat dividend, a known dividend forever. And it, that means that the, the uh, like bonds, if they'll mature, and then you have to roll that investment, reinvest. With this, it'll just sit there forever. And when you die, you can give, you can just will the stock to your beneficiaries. And then they get the benefit of this perpetuity. And it's a special kind. It's a non-growth perpetuity. It just doesn't grow. The dividend doesn't grow. It just sits there day, day, forever. These are actually a very good thing for trust funds, or at least they used to be. I'll get to that in just a second here. But you could put, you could put money into a trust fund. Trust could buy preferred stock. And then that trust fund, as a trust fund should, will last over the generations of a family. Constantly just pouring its dividends out. Uh, for the uh, beneficiaries of the trust. So that is, these are benefits of a uh, preferred. It has lost its luster though. Here's a couple of reasons. It is forever. Once that company issues that, does a public offering of that stock, it sits there and it is on the books. They have to pay that forever. Another interesting thing, you see how I snuck in that word cumulative? Here's the thing about any preferred stock. Preferred stockholders get their dividend before common stockholders are allowed to get one. The preferred shareholders 
must get their dividend. However, a company doesn't have to pay them the dividend. But if it doesn't pay them that dividend, the common stockholders don't get a dividend either. And if it's cumulative, the company can't pay a common dividend until it has caught up all of the preferred dividends it didn't pay. So in other words, okay, this year, well, we don't have enough money to pay any dividends. Okay, year two, well, no, no dividends. So year three, well, let's give our common shareholders a dividend because they're getting plenty pissed off. Well, first you have to pay the $1.20 and their dividend for the current year, so it's $1.80, before you can even talk about giving the common shareholders a dividend. Now, not all preferred is cumulative, but that's what it means if it is cumulative. This company doesn't have to pay dividends. It's stockholders. But if it doesn't pay the preferred, it can't pay the uh, common. So that makes it a little bit of a, uh, an interesting dilemma because there have been companies that didn't pay their preferred for like 10 years, 15 years, and in order for them to get right with everybody, they had to pony up what they had not paid to their cumulative preferred shareholders. So there you go. That, keep that in mind here. Okay, going on with this, just a, briefly more. Back in the day, I could have pulled up stock, uh, preferred stock ticker symbols all the time. They're hard to find now. Offerings of public offerings of preferred are not very usual. They just have lost their luster with a lot of investors. There was um, uh, something about eight, six years ago, I took uh, my finance students up to a place in Chicagoland where they, this is a proprietary house that designs packages of stocks and bonds that they then encourage brokers to sell to their clients. And, well, we've got this high growth rate package, we've got this a package that's got a low beta, all that kind of stuff. Well, they were talking about how they had been working really hard on this new package that would have a high dividend yield, but would have almost no capital gain growth. And you know, find the stocks that are very safe, high dividends, but these are the kinds of, we're aiming this package at the kind of investors who do, don't want necessarily a stock price increase. And they talked about it, showed their analytics and all that kind of stuff. And I finally asked, why are you not looking at preferred stock? That's the dream. Preferred stock's price doesn't move very much because it's got the anchor of that, of that dividend. <coughs> and I said, well, why aren't you using that? And he just kind of, nah, no one uses preferred stock anymore. Oh. Okay, uh, so I shut my pie hole and let him keep talking, but it was, it's just not there. Now, when I was, I was prowling through um, a bunch of different uh, filters and screens to find stocks, and I was actually, uh, this weekend, I was looking for preferred stock. And uh, interestingly, it is still rather prolific in real estate. Now, there's a kind of, real estate company called an REIT. And I actually 
did consulting for one many, many years ago, uh, real, estate, real Estate Investment Trust. And they actually, that's how they raise money. They just issue preferred stock. And it was just kind of like, okay, I did find a sector, and I found a few other sectors, but finding it, it's just not like common stock. And you're certainly not going to hear anyone on the Talking Heads shows, well, this preferred stock is really exciting. The price moved four cents yesterday. <laughs> it's like bonds. Bonds float around the par value, but that's about it. And that's what happens with preferred stock. Now, here's the thing, though. This is forever. This thing is going to go on into eternity. You probably saw this either in an advanced course in high school or maybe in your last calculus course. There is a kind of summation of numbers where the numbers are such that if you add up an infinite string of them, it goes to a specific value that can be calculated by a formula. <coughs> uh, uh, those uh, then, of course, there are all these ones that you add up the numbers into infinity, and it just blows up to infinity. But there is a group of number series, as we call them, that add up to a specific formula-driven number. The famous story: this was this these series that have a closed value were first discovered by a kid in the, I think in the 1700s. His teacher had assigned the class just to shut them up. He said, she said, I want you to add up all the numbers from one to 100. And so that would keep the little bastards quiet for a couple hours. Well, this one little twerp comes up to the front after about uh, two minutes and says, here's the answer. And she said, how in the world did you do that? He said, one plus 100 is 101. 2 plus 99 is 101. 3 plus 98 is 101. So basically, it's just 101 times 50. And that was the beginning of knowing how numbers can actually come to a place. Now, that was boring as hell, but you can win at a Trivial Pursuit game someday, maybe. But let me show you here. The price of a share of any stock at the end of the day is the present value of the future expected cash flows from that stock. Now you can have some situations where you get the dividend for a few years and then you sell it, present value of those numbers. Or you could have one like preferred stock where there's this present value that is simply the sum of the same amount of money every year forever. And it collapses, I'll be darned, to a formula. The present value of a no growth perpetuity, no growth perpetuity is going to be the flat dividend divided by what the market is discounting it at, that cash flow stream at. An infinite string of additions collapses on that formula because way out there the present values of those dividends way out in the future become trivial. And so it becomes that formula. Let me show you. <coughs> VTA, cumulative preferred, 
1.5%. Well, I already gave you DRJP, so I'll just keep it at that. Strike that out. I've just given it to you here. All I need to do for this one is just say, give you a discount rate. Let's say the discount rate, in other words, what the market says this preferred should pay. Let's say it's 1.25%. Okay, so discount rate, present value. So at one point, to 5%, the present value of it would just be the dividend, the flat dividend, 60 cents per share, divided by the market's required rate of return, 1.25%. And if I crank that out on the calculator, it's not even worth doing it in Excel, I'd just say, uh, 60 cent dividend, 1.5 times the par value, divided by <coughs> 0.0125. Now, $48. Well, that shouldn't be too surprising because the market says that the coupon, that the dividend is better than what we want. So there's that. Well, let's say that the discount rate, what the market's required rate of return on this should is, skyrockets to 1.75%. Uh, then you just do 60 cents divided by 0 0.0175. And if you crank that one out, It should sell at a discount to par because the required rate of return is more than what it's paying, the dividend is paying. And sure enough, my ass. Well, okay, what if the market's required rate of return is exactly the same as the dividend? Then it'd be 60 cents divided by 0 0.15 and that, if you calculate it, will come out to be exactly par value. You see how it works just like bonds did? Price and yield are inversely related. That's all through our world. That's why when the Fed jacks up interest rates, it scares the crap out of the markets and they drop. It's just this same thing going on. Now, this, on a, I will ask one of these on a quiz and or the final. And I mean, this is just a gimme. Don't make this hard. Don't make it weird, man. Okay? It's just, and that's, that's a nice thing. That's a very nice thing. Yeah. Oh, obviously, yeah. Yeah. I hate to tell you this, but there's another chapter where that's what I don't give you. But that's something else completely. Trust me. Is it in this course or not? No, no, it's in this course. 
Don't you wish you'd get out of here without visiting hell on the eighth level? <laughs> and that's not, one thing I do tell you about that is, though, that usually I'm pretty merciful on that second subject and I just give you the damn discount rate. <laughs> just like I do here. Because, I mean, there's a... No, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to tell you about that because then someone's going to go out and slash my tires and I just got new tires four years ago. Okay, so moving on from here though. Um, common stock doesn't work that way. The dividend can be all over the place. There could be no dividend. There can be a nice fat dividend. Then the next year, a uh, little dividend. It can just bounce all over the place. Boing, 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 boing. But there's something important. And I, I don't know, I may have mentioned this before, but in a lot of, in, uh, not a lot, but in some of the companies that I consulted, did consulting for back in the day, there was a time when the company would finally get on its feet. It was ready, we're going we're gonna to make it here. And of course, as I had mentioned in the first or second day of the course, the shareholders are very glad because it just pisses them off that they're not getting a dividend. <coughs> well, there would come a time in these companies where they were actually getting positive free cash flow where they would say, okay, is it time for us to issue a dividend just to get the shareholders happy? And that is a double-edged sword. One, absolutely, get a dividend out there. But this other side of that is once you start paying a dividend, the shareholders are going to expect you to give, pay a dividend every year. And they're going to get, you might get punished, the stock price might get punished savagely if you are able to pay a dividend for a couple of years and then suddenly you say, oh, we can't pay a dividend this year. That could drop the stock price through the toilet. So that's, the, that's one problem. Once you get in the Hotel California, you can check out, but you can never leave. There's going to be an expectation that that dividend keeps going. As a matter of fact, I can show you stocks right now that are losing, uh, the company is actually losing money, but they're still paying their dividend because they are that afraid of the collapse of the stock price. Ford is an example of that. And there are several others too. But there's another problem too. There comes a time when a company has gotten old enough and mature enough that it's not just paying the dividend, but it's stabilizing the dividend. Not just at the same value, but on a stable, known growth path. It doesn't have to be spectacular, but I mean, I'd been doing these lectures for more than 40 years, and I finally started digging through older, more mature corporations. And I started looking, okay, let's look at the dividend for the last 10 years. Oh, dividend now divided by the dividend one period back, dividend one period back divided by the dividend two periods back, just to see what the growth rate of the dividend was. And I'll be darned if many of these companies had a constant growth. It might not have been perfect, but it was always right around a specific 2.5% 1%, there was this pattern of older companies stabilizing their dividends to a constant growth. 
There's a reason for that. It creates more certainty about the company, less risk. You know not only that you're going to give a di- get a dividend, but you have a you can predict the path of that dividend over a long period of time. That's what that constant growth is all about. Now, some companies, I don't know, I've, maybe a lot of them know about it, but that's the other side of it. Yeah, you start paying a dividend, you better not want to stop. And the second thing is, you better have a time frame in which you stabilize the growth rate of the dividend. There's a good other reason for that. We have a formula that can calculate the intrinsic value of a stock if the dividend is constant growth. If the dividend is constant growth, we have a formula that will tell us the intrinsic price. In fact, even if we, the growth, the constant growth part, uh, constant growth phase of the company isn't for a few years, we can still do it. And I, I'm going to show you how to do it in your calculator. You're, I'm going to show you how to use an app that shouldn't be used for this. But then I'm going to also show it to you in Excel. And it's, it, the formula looks a little intimidating sometimes, but it's really not. Constant growth. Constant growth, perpetuity. Here's where you have to be cautious. The price will be, the dividend one period out divided by the discount rate minus the growth rate. Now a dividend one period out is going to be the current dividend times one plus the growth rate, obviously. Here's the kicker. I can give you a problem where I say the company just paid a dividend that will grow at. That means that you have to grow the number I told you one period. On the other hand, I might say the company will pay a dividend next year of, in which case you don't have to do that because you've got the D1, the dividend one period out. Let me repeat that. If I say the company just paid a dividend of, you need to grow at one period in the numerator. If I say the company will pay a dividend next year of, then you don't need to grow it, you have the D1. I could frame it either way on a quiz or a final exam. Just know that you have to be be aware of this, okay? So let's do this. CPG just paid a dividend of $2.90 
per common share. And that dividend is expected to grow at 2.2% per year for the foreseeable future. DPG just paid a dividend of $2.90 per share, and that dividend is expected to grow at 2.2% for the foreseeable future. Now let's use a discount rate here. Of 8.6%. I can find the price of this, the intrinsic price. The price value will be the dividend they just paid, 2.90, and you grow at one period because we use D1. So you'll take 2.90 times the quantity 1 plus 0 0.022, and then you will divide that by the discount rate, 0 0.086, minus 0 0.022, and that will be your intrinsic price. <coughs> Nothing painful at all about that. You just take the, what was that, a $2.90 dividend, you grow at one period times, open parenthesis, one plus 0 0.022, and then you divide that, open parenthesis, 0 0.086 divided by, oh, I'm divided by, minus 0 0.022. Close the parentheses, and there's your Uncle Bob, $46.31 per share. That's the intrinsic price. <coughs> now notice the wording. They just paid a dividend. So that's the key that you have to grow that number I gave you one period. If I had said they are expected next year to pay a dividend of $1.90, then you don't grow it. It's already D1 from the formula. Just remember that and you won't have a problem with this. And I, I, I don't know if, whether it's evident to you or not, but one of the risks in investing in stock is pricing it. Are we undervalued or overvalued? 
as you can see with these old mature companies that have constant growth dividends, the pricing aspect is very straightforward. And that's why they have, tend to have low betas. They just, you know pretty much, I mean, you can be off, but you know where the intrinsic price is so that you can compare it to the market price to see if you got overvaluation or undervaluation. So there's that nice little thing right there. <coughs> the only real chink in this armor is, well, there are two. One is these companies that just are never going to pay a dividend. I swear they just will not pay a dividend ever. Uh, if am I mistaken, let me check here real quick. I know if I write AMZN, I don't think it's it still doesn't pay a dividend. Nope. I mean that company's been around long enough; it should be paying a dividend, but. You know, those people, those cats running this, they just don't, won't pay a dividend. So our entire valuation model is it, we have to do some really fancy stuff. I mean, to do it right, I, you're in grad level, almost PhD level stuff with real powerful computers. Another one, Tesla. By the way, notice the beta of Amazon, 1.25. Come on. Oh, come on. Give me Tesla. Just because I call Musk key of the cloven hoof. Yeah, a couple of days ago, I called him the fart hammer of Beelzebub. Uh, is there some reason this sucks? Come on. Let's stop. Let's try this again. Stop, I said. Maybe I have to reload. Here, reload. Okay, let's try Tesla now. TSLA. Well, try it again. TSLA. Hell, oh, there we go. No dividend. Look at the beta. You see that the, the, the very existence of the dividend creates a, it removes a risk you know you're going to get something out of the stock. And that's what this model shows, is that it is, it, pricing is not a difficult matter. You get companies like Tesla, Amazon, they have high betas. One of the reasons they have such damn high betas is we don't have a relatively simple model for knowing what the intrinsic price is. We have to go to some really fancy stuff. So, Anyway, there's that. Here's the last rung of it. The real, the real story is, goes back to what I said at those board meetings uh, so many years ago, is that a companies can start paying dividends. And it's not going to be surprising that the dividend is going to pop around and bitch for a few years. You might get a dividend out the door of a dollar and then the next year 30 cents and then year three you've got to use all the money to <coughs> plow back in for a capital investment and then you get a dividend, dividend the next year. So there's 
realistically, even a company that's paying dividends, it might not be stable, but that's one of the things that is incumbent upon the long-term planners, the thinkers, the board of directors, and all of that of a company. At what point do we stabilize the dividend? Which means that we're just going to have to start doing the, re doing the pain in the butt of pro forma income statements and balance sheets. In other words, forecasting out with our best estimates what the free cash flows are going to look like. And then we can say, okay, at what point do we have the opportunity to stabilize the dividend at a constant growth? So in other words, you're going to see companies that have dividends up and down for a period of time, and then they finally get their major act together and they get it done. So let me show you one of those animals. I'm trying to look. You, sir, you're the captain of a ship. And you're out on the open water, and there's nothing but water all around you. And you stand on the bow, and you look out, and there's this line out there, this flat line that separates the sea from the sky. What do you call that? Horizon. Yes, the horizon. This is what we're doing in finance here. What we're going to find is a horizon value. A horizon value. That place where we would know the stock at that price of the stock that time by the constant growth formula. In other words, once that dividend is stabilized, I can know the price by the, of that formula. So without further ado, let me take a company Now, in year one, it's going to pay a dividend of $1.50. In year two, it's going to pay a dividend of $1.10. In year three, it won't be able to pay a dividend because their, their capital budgeting sees that they're going to need every penny for a big, huge project. But that means that after that, we have dividends returning. Let's say in year four, we have a dividend of $2 a share. In year five, we have a dividend of $2.40. And that is where the growth stabilizes to, let's say, $2.5% per year for the foreseeable future after that. This is in the realm of a, sub, of a subject called strategic planning. It's not just about what is going on within the company. It's how what is decided in the company interacts with the investment community outside of there.
So what's a mother to do here? Now I'm going to tell you, wouldn't it be nice if I could find the horizon value at year five? I sure can. I most certainly can. There it is. The dividend one period farther out would be the $2.40 times 1 plus the growth rate to 5%, sorry. Over, well, let's say that our discount rate is, I don't know, 6.8% over 0.068 minus the 0 0.025. And then we, of course, want to add in that dividend, that $2.40 dividend that happened in year five. You see, because if I can get the, this horizon value right here, I can discount that back five periods, discount the $2 back four periods, discount the $0 back three periods, discount the $1.10 back two periods, and discount the $1.50 back one period. Now that sounds like a pain in the ass. And I guarantee you, if you think I'm gonna to try to do that, I'm not because I'll get it, I'll make a mistake. But fortunately, we don't have to do it. First things first, let me just get that horizon value just really quickly. It, this is going to be the stock price in five years. What I'm doing here is the stock price in five years. I'm going to say, okay, I'm going to take the $2.40 and I'm going to grow it to D1 as it were, D6 it is, times 1 plus 0 0.025 close the parenthesis, oops, five, close the parenthesis, and then divide it by, open parenthesis, 0 0.068 minus the 0 0.025. Now, a little caution here on technical note, don't forget to trap that denominator in parentheses. Okay, just, now if I say, find that, that's $57.21. And then I just add the dividend that will come that year, which was what? $2.40? Oh, two. And there it is. $59.61. That's the horizon value. In other words, the stock price, we can project it at year five to be 59.61. Oh, but still we have a problem because we gotta discount that and those previous dividends back. 
I'm going to show you a routine in your calculator. You, you, this, you're not supposed to use, the cal, use this app to do that, but it works. And I'll use it for its legitimate purpose later in the course. But to use it for this, I'm going to take in apps, finance, apps, finance, and then go down to seven, the NPV, enter, apps, finance, seven. Now, here's how you put it in. I'm going to explain the logic, the calculator's logic, because it's going to help you avoid a mistake. The first thing you'll put in is the discount rate, 6.8. Now remember, this is an app, so all, you just put in the percentage, that's it. Now, whenever you're, whenever you want the the calculator to know that something else is coming you use a comma I've given it the discount rate and now I'm going to say comma here comes the next thing now don't ask much about this just put in a zero here this is in later this is what we'll put in as a negative initial investment, but we don't do that here. Just put in a, a zero and, and don't ask. Now, I'm done with that, so I have to put in a comma. The next thing you're going to do is you're going to tell the calculator to start counting years. The way you do that is you do second brace, open the brace, that's second parenthesis. Now, each number you put in and then a comma, it's going to count as a year or a period, whatever it is. So in this case, I'm going to put in for year one, $1.50. Year two, a dollar ten. It's counting the years. That's why you're putting in those commas. Comma. Zero. Now you put in the zero. Don't ignore it because it's a placeholder for the third year. It needs to know the third year. <coughs> and then a comma. And then put in the two dollars. And what was that? Was that two dollars? Two dollars? comma, and now you put in the horizon value. In fact, I mean, if you're into that kind of thing, you could actually do the whole calculation right there in that, after that comma. You could just run that, uh, the D, D zero times one plus G over, you could do the whole thing right there. And I'm not going to even try to do that, 59.61. Now, this is where you tell the calculator, stop counting. Second, close the brace. And then close the parenthesis. Now I'm going to tell you two places where you can fall down. 
If you get an error, the first thing that I, would, I find is you forgot to put in a comma before the brace. The second one, see these braces? They look so much like parentheses on an LCD screen that you could miss it and accidentally put in a parenthesis when you need, needed a brace, and it'll come back with an error. So if you come back with an error, check to see that you put a comma before the brace that you opened, and check that though both of those are those little squiggly things instead of the rounded things. Once you've done that, $46.81 is the current intrinsic price of the stock. Just like that. Now, if you don't remember to do it this way, for God's sake, just do it this way. Here's how you do it in Excel. Now, most of you are doing that Wall Street prep course. You probably know that there's to a certain extent, each user is going to have his or her own little twists on how to get accomplish an output. Okay, what I'm going to do is year, I'm going to go 0, 1, 1, I better not do that, 5 years. Here I'm going to put the dividend and here I'm going to put the stock price. Now if you're, if you're asking how the hell would I know how to do, set this up, you're not wrong and you can do it your own way. But down here, I'm going to need to have the uh, discount rate and the growth rate. Now the dividend. Put in these dividends, and I'll just put in 1.1. .1 No, that's not. What is that first one? 1.5, then 1.1, then 0, and then 2, and 2.4. My discount rate was 6.8. And remember that in Excel, you have to give it, say that's a percentage. And your growth rate is 2.5%. And I will upload this to VeggieNet so you have the model. Okay. First thing I'm going to do is get the horizon value, the stock price at year five. That would be equal to the dividend at year five times oops, 
times 1 plus the growth rate divided by the discount rate minus the growth rate plus the dividend itself, which was B7. My, what it, really? Can't I put in parentheses like a normal person? What is it? Look at that. Same one I got with the calculator for the horizon. So now, all we have to do is get the stock price right now. Now to get this one, and I hate, hate, hate Excel because it uses the term NPV, which is not what you're doing here, but now what you're going to do at first is you're going to put in the rate, comma, and then these values, comma, the horizon. Let me explain that again. Let me do it again for you. you. Use the NPV. You put in your rate, comma. You put in the dividends, comma. And then you put in the horizon value. And there it is. Now, if you're saying to yourself, how the hell would I have known to do that? Uh, as I said, you're not wrong. <laughs> you just, the way, one of the ways that you best learn Excel is just see it being done over and over. I mean, I can give you the theory of it, the manuals, the help online, but just seeing someone doing it. And I mean, you could already probably think of a couple of ways that you could vary this. I could have taken this value and not added the dividend and just put that dividend into this stream here. But that would have caused a problem in itself. <coughs> but look at that. 46. So in other words, again, as long as you have a horizon where the dividends will stabilize, we can find an intrinsic value and it's done scientifically, it's not done with feelings or opinions. This is the science of it. And I will put this on, uh, in, upload this to VeggieNet as soon as I'm finished today. As a matter of fact, before I leave, I'll just upload it to your uh, VeggieNet, okay? And then if you, if that isn't enough for you, well, I got nothing else today. That's all I have for you. I thank you.